This podcast is brought to you by OnTrack Studio. Hi, dear valued listener. This is Matthew from the M&M podcast. Before we march into today's episode, Michelle and I just wanted to take a moment to thank you, dear valued listener, for providing some amazing feedback on our first season. We record most of our episodes in the past, and so we've been receiving some really great feedback. And just on that, if any of you out there actually wanted to connect with us, we now have an Instagram account, which is at the letter M A N D. M the podcast. So that's M and M the podcast. And we absolutely welcome you getting into touch with us. Um, give us some word inspiration, tag us in any post that you think might be fun. And we really appreciate all of the support. Now, we hope you enjoy today's episode. Matthew, hello. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to Back to Eminem. Thanks so much. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Um, really, really good. Thank you. And how are you? Oh, look, I'm pretty happy. I'm, I'm really happy after our last episode where you got to talk about JT, your dog. Oh, and I'm just as in love as ever. He's just a best. Oh. Oh, I'm a bit in love with him. You know, the, the, the name Rotador is such a great one, isn't it? I think that, mm. I think that um, mixed breed dogs have the best... The best names, mm. like Cavoodle mm-hmm. and Rotador is great. I totally agree. Um, what else did we chat about last time? Well, you introduced us to the concept of malaxating, which I believe in brief is, um, if we're talking about it in terms of science, it's when a in a lab we smash things together to create a new thing. Or if we're talking about it in biology, it's where we mush our prey inside. We knead them inside until all their internal bits turn into a delicious protein milkshake and then we just drink it out of them. Exactly. It's a yucky concept to think about what their buffets might look like, eh? Hey? But, you know, since that episode I've been thinking about it and how amazing is evolution of those animals that they don't just suffer through eating all the bones and brittle and hair like when I talked about the tarantula. They don't bother with that. They kill the prey, they massage, knead it, and then stick a straw in and just out the nutrients. Exactly, you've got tough arms instead of needing tough suckers, I suppose. I exactly. Just, I just think that in terms of evolution, that's great. So you malaxated, and what did I do? Well, you also were very, very sciencey. We talked about meridian, we the did. meridian, the prime meridian, mm. and the the way that the meridian lines work on the globe. Yes, and um, dear valued listener, I hope you're patient with me. It's a hard one. When we get the words that are super visual, um, you know, Michelle and I do our very utmost best to communicate, um, you know, what we're trying to say, but that was a tough one for me, Michelle. Yeah, especially when there's mathematics and there's science and biology. Mm. Not our not our strong No, thing, that it? side of my brain just cripples and, and I'm in pain. But that's okay. It was yeah, a great episode and I really appreciated uh, both those explorations. And today, what are we doing today, Michelle? Well, today uh, I'm going to chat about a short and sharp word, which is madge, M-A-D-G-E. Madge, as in... What are you going to be telling us about? Madge, as as in the lady's name. Oh, my God, I love it. You know what? I'll tell you about what I'm talking about later. Why don't we get straight into madge? Why not? Okay, so Madge, M-A-D-G-E, is from the name Margaret. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, a a shortening, I guess, or a a nickname, use of the word Margaret. So the way that I thought that I might approach this word was to have a look at all of the famous Madges. I love it. And there are quite a few. I bet there are. 
I'm, I'm guessing that probably the most famous Madge is a woman who's very dear to your heart, I know. I was going to say, if you don't mention Madonna, we're going to have a crippling episode with violence. So please, please make sure she's number one. There was no way that she wasn't going to be leading this this uh, this little part of the, the podcast off. Mm. So, yes, she developed the nickname Madge uh, during her marriage to Mr Guy... Richie. Richie, thank you. Mm. Had a... a Completely different name in my mind. Guy Ritchie. So Guy, of course, is uh, Britisher and um, apparently Madonna wasn't so happy with the with the nickname. She, in fact, so much not a fan that she says that she pissed off from um, England and went back to America. So mm-hmm. that's it. I can't cope with being made to feel like an old washed out lady. So that's true, but just to go a bit deeper on it because I know everything about everything about everything about the superstar that is Madonna. It actually started in pubs. So Guy Ritchie um, and most Englishmen um, love themselves a pub, right? They go to the pub and they have a pint. And uh, what was happening was when she when she would go to the pub um, to meet Guy, everyone would be like, "Hey, it's Madge." Um, it's a sort of it's sort of a colloquial, you know, term or nickname, as you said, that's used very much over there, and everyone gets them when they walk in. You don't get called your full name. And in the beginning, she was endeared by it and thought, oh, this is really lovely or whatever. But as you say, he ended up adopting that name for her and using it publicly when she told him not to. So she actually, yeah, she said to him, please, you know, in the pub, it's okay that you call me Madge, but outside, I don't want this to to go further. And then, you know, X amount of time later, he did an interview and they said, and how's your wife, Madonna? And he went, oh, look, Madge and I this, Madge and I that. And it caught the world. And for a couple of years while she was living in England, everyone referred to her as Madge, newspapers, magazines, all of that. And she was incensed. But you know what, Michelle, I can understand that because I'm a Matthew and I do not like being called Matt. I just hate it. So, Madonna and, when- and Madge are very far from each other too, you mm, know, um, mm. It, it's not like Madge is, is any way a, a shortening of the name Madonna. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, I, I can understand and I don't think that Madge is really sex goddessy particularly. <laughs> it's really no. not. You think of a nan that's knitting a quilt, don't you? Yeah, not 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 a like a virgin. Exactly. <laughs> not a right. material girl. Now, the... The, the feel, the, the the atmosphere behind the name Madge um, is also carried out through the character of Madge Allsop, who is uh, Barry Humphrey's 2IC, as it were, on stage in some of his Dame Edna Everidge specials. Mm. So this is a 92-year-old lady uh, who was in a number of specials through the late 80s and into the 90s. I think that she first appeared in Les Patterson Saves the World, which was in 87. So um, she was played by by an English lady who who um, auditioned for the role of Madge Allsop, along with many other ladies in their 80s. And Barry Humphrey's years later spoke about the experience of the audition with Elizabeth Perry, the lady who ended up getting the, the part. Elizabeth apparently turned up and did absolutely nothing. <laughs> she didn't do anything. Okay. And when you see this character on stage, you see that that's exactly what's expected under dreadful vitriol and difficult attack from Dame Edna Everidge. Right. Yeah, yeah. She's just a 
a, she's a stodgy 1970s New Zealand housewife from Palmerston North was the way that Barry Humphreys described her. So he needed her to not do too much and not to be too clever. She always needed to be the bridesmaid on stage. I see she's been to the Oxfam shop with a diner's card again. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Madge, you might as well come down and join me, darling. So that's another one of our famous Madges. I love it. I don't know whether you remember Madge Bishop. From neighbors. Yes. Oh my God. Married to Harold. Well, this is the interesting thing. She had a very checkered past. So <laughs> she started off as um, as Madge Mitchell. Then she became Madge Ramsey and then Madge Bishop. So she had a few a few Trists. marriages mm. on Neighbours. She was around from um she was around pretty much in the in the nineteen eighties when she first arrived in the in Ramsey Street, isn't it? In yeah. Ramsey yeah. Street. She had um a marriage was over, she had a son in jail and she had a daughter as a runaway. Oh, look, so you know she's so very neighbours. So very neighbours. Exactly, exactly. And what was her first job on Neighbours? I've no idea. She was the barmaid at the waterhole. Of course she was. Of course she uh-huh. was. And she had that voice, didn't she, Michelle? She had that kind of croaky, I've been smoking a pack of Winnie Blues forever, Madge. Exactly, yeah. very much the expected sort of um, uh, voice of someone who is a, uh, a long-term barmaid. Mm. Um, prior to being the barmaid, she was these things on not Neighbours. I just love this list. She was a secretary a coffee shop owner, a local city councillor, <laughs> a grease monkey manager. A, a what? A, this is actually how it was written, a grease monkey manager. I'm sorry, what does that mean, please, Michelle? I don't really know. I don't and the know. last one was a, a columnist. <laughs> she was a columnist. Uh, I don't know. All, all of these on, on Neighbours. She did all of these jobs on Neighbours. Oh, just on Neighbours, that's it, exactly. So she married to three different blokes and she also had a lot of jobs across pretty much the whole community. <laughs> I'm, I'm From um, political leader down to grease monkey manager. Whatever, whatever that means. I'm really glad that you brought her back into my life. I'd forgotten all about Madge Bishop and she, when I was growing up and she was on Neighbours in the 80s and 90s, she was comfort food, you know. She was a secure kind of woman. She was very sensible and she was always bickering with someone but never in a sort of malicious way got another catty kind of Australian television icon, mm-hmm. Madge of Palmolive, the Palmolive dishwashing detergent. Do you remember the ad where Madge has got a, a blonde bob and she's in a, an outfit that someone who does your nails would wear and she's putting her customers' fingers into a bowl of Palmolive dishwashing detergent. No, I don't saying, remember this. Don't you worry, your fingers are going to be great, it's fine, this is good for your fingers as well as for your clean. Your, your dishes. Oh, so it was a way of saying this is safe. Exactly. Oh, because when we wash our dishes, we put our fingers in the dish, in the sink. That's right. So it's so good for you that you'd almost just want to go soaking your fingers in it. Okay, and her name was Madge. Her name was Madge and she was a bit of a star in, again, the late 80s through to the early 90s, Palmolive, hmm. um, around the same sort of time as their 
Don't wait to be told you need palm olive gold. Okay. Okay. I don't remember any of that. No, I don't remember any of that, but I thought I'd join you on the tune, you know. My very last famous Madge is Private Maitland Madge. He lived from 1984 to 1944 and he was our very first Indigenous infantryman who was awarded the something cross. Anyway, he got a very important. The Southern um, Cross? No, that's the, not. No, no, no. It was the something like the Purple Heart, something like that. Okay, okay. So he was in infantry in the First World War, and then he fought in the Second World War, and unfortunately lost his life in the Changi oh. uh, prison in Singapore. Mm. Oh, and, and he his, his last name was Madge. His surname was Madge. Yeah. Wow. Private Maitland Madge, and a little sidebar part of his story, which is something that brings a tear to your eyes, that at 10 years old, his father, who was uh, a Devon immigrant from from Britain, Mm -hmm. uh, he had his son removed from the Aboriginal Protection Act. And the reason that he wanted him removed from the Protection Act was that then his child wouldn't be taken away from him. So he's exempted. That Mm. is, that's, that is, that's a tearjerker right there. Yes, we have some stains on our historical past and that's a stain that we can't get rid of with a bit of palm olive, is it, Michelle? You betcha, but I've got to say I loved my Madge, so thank you very much. That was a good fun word. Yeah, good. If any time we bring Madonna into this podcast, you will feel me glee. You will feel and see me glee because she is queen. The end. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Michelle. I loved that. I'm, how about I get straight into mine and we'll, uh, maybe we'll round out the episode with our moist and our moods. What do you think of that? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to talk about the word midwife. Midwife. Now, you know, this is kind of a, um, I don't need to tell everyone what this exact word means because we all know it's a healthcare professional that looks after mothers and newborns during pregnancy, labour and postpartum. So this is a career to be a midwife. Um, It is a very well-known career and very much needed career for women who are in that stage of their life of pregnancy and and have had birth, etc. So, look, I can go into the background story Story of the actual etymology of the word, but it wasn't all that interesting, to be frank. The only interesting thing that I learnt was that um, mid means with and with means wife. So liter- the literal transition here is with wife, um, which I thought was interesting. Oh, not, not wife, I lied, woman, because obviously oh, wife isn't okay. necessarily pregnant. So with, uh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That's not wife, that translates to woman. So it's with woman. Um, obviously at that time where she's birthing. But I wanted to – look, I, I scratched and scratched and scratched at midwife to find some interesting stuff and I've got two gems for you around midwife. I wanted to see if I could locate the first – maybe not the first, but delve into history and find some some midwives from history that maybe, um, you know, were interesting to discuss and, boy, did I find a couple – the first two that I want to talk about um, are as, as old and as historical as I could find, and they're two women by the name of Shipra and Pua. Pua is P-U-A, not Pua. And Shipra and Pua are referenced in the Bible. So they come, I found this excerpt from Exodus, which was uh, 1, 15 to 21, verses 15 to 21, chapter 1. Um, Shipra and Pua were two midwives, and they were instructed by the Pharaoh at the time, 
um, not instructed, let's let's elevate that word to commanded. They were commanded by the pharaohs at that time to go ahead and kill all newborn Hebrew boys. So that's a bit of a command from a pharaoh. Now, we've got to remember back in the days when a pharaoh told you to jump, what would your response be, Michelle? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Ask how high. Exactly. So you don't really, when the pharaoh, who was the king of the land at the time, I think even higher, an emperor, um, you wouldn't really push back on what you were told. But it's quite the request, really, to be told to go and be the midwives to all these um, women um, and then murder their, their children. So they didn't. They actually rebelled. And so they travelled to where they were needing to go. And on the way, they discussed apparently between them, Shipra and Pua, what exactly they were informed to do. And in a roundabout way, came to the conclusion that they were being asked to be a part of genocide. And that did not sit well for these midwives because their job is to bring life into the world and celebrate that and assist that and be with that. So they actually didn't do it. They rejected um, the genocide, the genocidal. Can I say that genocidal role? Is that a thing? Anyway, yep. I've, I've said it. Genocidal. That they they rejected it, and instead they delivered these Hebrew boys. And when word got back to Pharaoh, and we've got to remember this is biblical times, so it wasn't you know it wasn't on Twitter that they did it the very next day. It probably took quite a while for this information to get back to the pharaoh, they immediately dispatched some of their artillery and army to go and have these women killed for not going ahead with the command they were given. And apparently when the artillery or killers or whatever that they were dispatched to do got about two days away from them, God intervened and built them a house. God got involved personally. Yes. So apparently because of the fact that they chose to bring these children into the the world protected and without genocide, without murder, he actually built them a house and these houses couldn't be penetrated by um, the pharaohs or the artillery. And in there they they remained midwives and they continued to assist women to bring children into the world under the you know, loving, protective sort of belief system that they had. And it would have been a pretty tough thing to do at that time. You don't go pissing the pharaoh off, really. No, but when you get a sh- handshake from God at the end of it himself, you go, wow, I think we did a good one there. I think, we, yeah. I think maybe we kicked a goal because, you know, God's like obviously very much present in the Bible, but he doesn't actually, you know, literally do that. Now, I'm not sure when I read that excerpt, I'm not sure if it was – a literal translation, but it felt like it to me, you know, and Exodus is one of the first books, so it's very early on. Um, But they were the oldest two midwives that I could find, Michelle, and I just love that story that, you know, he, this pharaoh dispatched them to do the opposite of what they they were, you know, called to do, and they went, no, not having it, no. Yeah, and it would kind of go against your ethos, wouldn't it? You've got your you've got your set of values that you hold pretty dear as a midwife. I think probably the, the top one would be to, bring life into the world, you know, safely and and without not, and not murder. Yeah. And not murder yeah, straight yeah. away. Yeah. And yeah. that's, imagine that role as well. Like you're there, you're going through the labor with mum, but in the back of your mind, you're thinking as soon as that pops out, I'm snapping its neck. No, you know yeah. what? We'll move on. Back in the day, you know, back in, oh, up until about a hundred years ago, a midwife was always a woman. Women were dispatched to assist women simply because of the belief system that women are women's bodies, women are more comfortable with women, etc. But about 50-odd years ago uh, in the Western world, I'm talking in the Western world, there are definitely still cultures where midwives can only be women. 
But in the Western world, 50 to 100 years ago, roughly, this role became genderless. So men could also train as midwives. They are also known as midwives. So there's no um, gender barrier there or any issues with that. Um, Have you known a male midwife? I don't think I've known a male midwife. Well, I've never had a baby. Well, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to be frank, I've never known any midwife. Oh, that, oh, no, I helped. I knew a midwife through a friend who got pregnant, but and it was a woman. It was a, it was a trainee midwife. She was doing her degree, which actually leads me straight into what I was going to say, which I thought was interesting. To be a midwife in Australia, it's actually a bachelor degree in midwifery. Okay, so you're 16 years old and you're sitting there going, what am I going to do with my life? You know, what track am I going to take? If you're all things babies, you don't even need to do any other degree. You can actually become completely qualified by doing a bachelor degree in midwifery in Australia. And it's it's a three-year degree and you're express passed into working at the hospital and assisting in the delivery of children. However, okay. however, you can also add a post-grad qualification of midwifery to a nursing degree because I think a lot of people think that nurses are automatically midwives. It's not true. There is a certain amount of training that's required around delivering children and being, you know, part of that whole process, postpartum, everything that is specialised. So you can either do a bachelor degree in midwifery or if you want to start off as a nurse and keep that sort of uh, future plan a bit wider, no pun intended, you can um, then do um, an add-on postgrad midwifery degree, which is only 12 months at the end of your nursing degree. So just in case you're thinking of changing up professions there, Michelle. Oh, um, look, I wouldn't after hearing the stories that my mate who is a midwife tells. Women become very angry when they're, <laughs> you know, when yeah. you're doing a bit of pushing the baby. It's, it's yeah. terrible. And the things they say, they yell out very loud, very, very angry swear words. I, abs- I don't, do you blame them, Michelle? Come on now. No, not at all. That's why I've never done it. Yeah. It was, it was, it was quite, quite enough to put me off just thinking about it a bit. I, um, um, you're yes. right. You're right. There is a, there is a psychological element to being a midwife, not just, you know, a medicinal and physical element. You know, you have to deal with people in grotesque amount of pain. And and also back in the day, midwives were there, you know, we're talking a couple of hundred years ago, but I'm sure still recent as well, to hold space for the situations that didn't go well. You know, when mothers passed away while giving birth, when children were born stillborn, et cetera, et cetera. There's a whole gamut of things that can happen during this process that a midwife has to be able to hold space for both physically and mentally. And I think that's an incredible, if we think about that for a minute, that's an incredible, incredible task to take on. What a responsibility, hey, to yeah. um, to usher in a brand new life. And I understand that there's a similar position that will assist you out of the world. Yes, that's right. Okay, actually, thank you for bringing me back to that. There is what's known as a doula. So it's a D-O-U-L-A, a doula. Devalued listener, here is my very brief and skimmed research. You can become what's known as a death doula. And a death doula pretty much means a death midwife, except for death. So instead of being the woman that ushers life in, you are the woman that assists and ushers life out. So it is a position that a woman takes, or a man, I think you can be genderless again to be a doula, and they stay with you at the final moments of life. So whether it could be terminal illness, um, you know, whatever it is, it's usually, it's not like, you know, snap death. Obviously, if a death doula happens to be you and you get hit by that bus, that's amazing. But it's Mm. really for people who know that, that the end is nigh and their job as well is to be with you 
you and hold space for you as as things slowly pack up and you head off. So it's 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 a real supportive role, whether you're a, a midwife bringing life in or you're a death doula helping life go out. The task at hand is monumental and it's so powerful to life in both directions. And in our Western society, I guess that they're the two things that we don't talk about mm. <laughs> very effectively and we probably aren't very good at, at recognising that we're all going to die. Yeah. But also there's there's a lot less taboo and, and hiding, I guess, around the idea of childbirth now, mm. but there's still a lot of a lot of veils over it, aren't there? Whereas, mm. and the the person who's helping a life into the world or a life out of the world is going to see a lot of humanity. It, very well said. A lot of humanity, a lot of precious moments shared. Now, I'm going to leave though on a good note. Speaking of precious moments shared, I found this this website that just just delighted me, Michelle, and I think you'll get a kick out of this. Um, it was written by uh, one midwife in particular who had retired. She was based in England and she had delivered, I can't remember the number, but it was, you know, a couple of thousand babies. And the reason why I clicked on this article, it because it actually said other things found inside a woman just prior to birth. So, <laughs> other okay, than the child, yeah. So this is, and I just, I went clickbait, click, and I read this article and it was absolutely fantastic. So, obviously, you're about to give birth, your legs are in stirrups, you start to dilate, and, you know, things open up downstairs. And this woman um, g- gave this interview around all the other things that popped out just before the baby did. Hmm. Would you like- so this is a midwife, is it? This, She's a mid- she was a midwife. midwife. Yep, yeah. She was a midwife herself. And she said about one in 20 births, something popped out just before the baby did and she thought she'd share with us some of these little nuggets. Would you like to hear some? One in 20 is a lot. Yeah, go. Okay. My first one, and that I absolutely loved, was a Kinder Surprise egg that actually had an engagement ring inside of it. A diamond ring. So there's this woman about to give birth. Um, she's, you know, this much dilated and out pops a kinder surprise egg. Now, obviously, the, the chocolate had either melted or had been eaten. And we don't know. She couldn't say how the, the egg got in there. But once the egg kind of popped out, which is kind of metaphoric as well, because, you know, egg, birth, all that, they opened it up and inside was a ring. And here's the best part of this one. The partner who had purchased the ring and put it in the egg. I don't know if he put it in her, but put it in the egg, went, oh, my God, that's where that went. (laughs) Of all of the places that you would think to look, (laughs) there. And and at what point in the nine months preceding did he not go... Where did, Where did really my ring go? go? I know. I'm I, not sure I, meant to do it I think maybe he accidentally put it there and then got embarrassed and went, "Oh, we'll just, it'll pop out later. We'll just deal with it later." I mean, that's. I mean, wow, right? So he proposed on the spot as she was pushing the baby out. Hmm. I dare, I dare say she screamed no at him and threw what was left of the egg at his face. But do you know what else? This woman has said loads of discovered lost tampons came popping out. Okay. Uh, oh. Yep, loads of them. False nails, um, dislodged piercings. So quite a few women that had um, vaginal piercings that, you know, didn't look at their moñanas on a daily didn't realise that somewhere along the line that little clipper... <laughs> no, they were missing it. No, nah, just... And it got 
just went in. And so there they are, legs in stirrups, and out comes some jewellery. Okay, love that. Isn't it lucky that your earrings don't go the same way? (laughs) Or in your ear. Yeah, that'd be horrific. (laughs) Um, Pen lids and... (laughs) Yep, <laughs> pen lids were found. So sometimes you can't get your pen open, so you don't use your hands. Mm. You use your moist moment. Mm. Wow. Here's my favourite one. A bikini bottom. I love this one. <laughs> so I'm going to read you. Actually, I printed this bit out because it was just so bloody funny. So this is the same article. So um, legs up in stirrups, you know, dilated, um, baby on the way. And first thing that pops out is a pair of bikini bottoms. And this midwife pulled them out of her on, you know, with tongs or what have you, and then lifted them up and showed the mum and said, look, I've just removed these. And the woman who was giving birth went, oh, my God, I haven't seen those for nine months. I thought I'd lost them. And then the story came out that she was having sex on the beach nine months previously after a few bevies. And she'd only been wearing a tiny string bikini. That's the one that only has the ties on the side, you know, the little side ties to the bikini. And uh-huh. they'd obviously come undone whilst she was in flagrante, whatever, sexy. And the bikini bottom had become dislodged and uh, with a little help from Mr. had been pushed up in there. Yep. So nine months later, these bikini bottoms reappeared as this baby that was made at that moment. So that's amazing. So this guy had super sperm because his sperm moved past a bikini bottom into her bits that made a baby. That's phenomenal on its own, right? (laughs) Phenomenal. Anyway, nine months later, she pulls this bikini bottom out and it's not looking so good anymore. It's got a bit of sepsis and a bit of, oh, yeah, a bit smell. Yeah, and she had to say to the woman, "I'm, I'm really sorry, but, you know, we've got, we need to be really careful here because it's infected. And nine months of having a bikini bottom inside your manana, I'm not all that surprised. But then the baby was delivered and was healthy. That was the, the corker, if you will. The bikini bottom that got dislodged during yeah, the during the inception diaphragm. that came out during birth. It's like a it's like a well rounded moment, really. It was there when she got preggers, and it was there when she popped it out. There you go, Michelle. Well, Matthew, that was not what I was expecting to hear about uh, midwives. I'm going to go and check my undies drawer. <laughs> look, look, I like that word because there were lots of rabbit holes and I wanted to talk about the two from the Bible because I thought that was a really profound story. And I love, I love any story that talks about things that pop out where they shouldn't have been. I just love that stuff. I'm into it. You know, I just love a couple who can lose an engagement ring. <laughs> not worry about it too much for nine months. It'll show up. It's all right. Maybe he got embarrassed one night because he realised he put it in a kinder surprise Um, egg, you know, and then he, so he just went, I'll deal with that later and then forgot all about it. Because that's not a great engagement. Here's your kinder surprise. I mean, come on, mate. Not great. Exactly. You just want to make sure that the person whose baby you're having is also the person who gave you the kinder egg. It'd be really bad (laughs) if you had someone else in the room with you. Where did this ring come from and this kinder egg? Wait, you were seeing someone else? I love it. God. Uh, So, Michelle, look, we we need to move towards the latter end of the episode. Could I ask you, it's pertinent right now to ask you what your moist moment might be. It actually has a really different flavour and connotation and atmosphere around it right now and I'm feeling distinctly uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, let's do a quickie. So what's making me moist at the moment is boredom. Oh. I think that being bored is a great thing for our brains. I'm not very good at being bored. I have found over the last couple of weeks that I'm really seeking out 
filling up my brain at any given time with either music or sound or information from a page and that sometimes it's a really good thing for your brain not to have any of that stimulation coming into it to allow ourselves to get bored can actually help us access creativity Mm, and so definitely being bored isn't making me moist the looking forward to the idea of being bored is what's making me moist so what I'm hoping to do is next week I can report back to you on just how bored I was (laughs) and how very worthwhile it's been (laughs) wonderful I I can relate to that I understand exactly what you're saying you know uh, quite often as especially as adults in this in this world we live we're programmed to think that being bored or unstimulated is a waste of energy and I agree with you completely when we allow ourselves to be still and clear out the mind, you know, creativity flows and also all sorts of other things flow. So I'm moist about that too. Can we share that moist moment? We can share that moist moment. Okay. Matthew's Monday mood. It's time for Matthew's Monday mood. I'm going to give you a quickie as well, because I don't want to get self-helpy, but my Monday mood is about balance. So I have many, many balls in the air at the moment with my second year of master's underway, um, husband and new dog, uh, working, podcasting, two placements. And everyone's saying to me all the time, including me, I'm saying to me, like, how are you doing this? Like, how are you finding, you know, time to squeeze it all in? And I've never really understood the value of balance like I have this year. It is really important that when we are, you know, giving so much of ourselves to so many different projects that we give as much time for ourselves in those. The boredom, it's actually connected to yours, Michelle. It's really, really similar. It's understanding that. It is, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's understanding that at times, you know, we need to switch off. We need to disengage. We need to allow creativity to spark which creates inspiration and all of the, you know, um, dopamines that come from that. Balance is a good thing. Sometimes saying no is a good thing because you are allotting where your energy goes at the right time in the right direction. And I think that there's, we feel guilty when we say no. We feel guilty when we don't overachieve. I'm, I'm talking about me. I shouldn't say we. But I do, and I've learned this year, I don't have that luxury anymore. I have to really be careful where my time and energy goes. Otherwise, the balance shifts. And what happens when the balance shifts? We burn out. And, you know, Mm. burnout is where no one wants to be. It's where you can't actually deal with anything anymore. It's all too much and you lose passion for what you're doing. The great thing about you, Matthew, with seeking balance, striving for balance, is that you are very clever at working out what you need to achieve it. So, for example, I see you regularly put time into your exercise regime. I see you put time into your planning and scheduling Mm. um, programming. I think that uh, you're very good at working out what it is that can help you to achieve balance. Mm. Mm. And it's something that we only develop, I think, with maturity Mm. And with finding out what it's like to burn out a bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate, I appreciate that acknowledgement. But really, honestly, it's taken 41 years for me to get there, for me to really and, – and to make the decisions that I've made in the last couple of years about where what trajectory my life's going to take and then understanding to create that or to sustain that, what kind of balance it needs. But I will add, Miss Michelle, that this podcast and the creativity that you and I have 
adds to my balance. It adds to my inspiration. It enables me in other aspects of my life to be more focused and to enjoy those moments a little bit more. So this, my dear, and to you, valued listener, is a good part of my balance. Be your enablers, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Michelle, I've really enjoyed um, hearing about Madge, in particular Madonna, and I will always overtake and hijack whenever you bring her up. I can't help it. She's my queen. And I hope you enjoyed hearing about midwives. I did very much. I'm also still happy not to have chosen to have a child. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure, Michelle. Until next week. Yeah.